adversaries are relentless, and they're only getting smarter, faster, and more sophisticated. Knowing their game is the only way to beat them. That's why we're here. Learn what it takes to protect against even the most sophisticated attacks. Welcome to the Adversary Universe podcast. Hey, good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Welcome to another episode of the CrowdStrike Adversary Universe podcast. My name is Christian Rodriguez, your co-host, and of course, joining me is Mr. Adam Myers himself. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? You know what? I'm really excited because we have some fantastic announcements coming off of a very busy quarter. We've had some really great episodes of this podcast that have garnered some really great feedback. I appreciate by the way, all of the listeners reaching out and sending us your input and sharing your insight into what you thought was very helpful or at least enlightening. And we hope to give you some more information and, and data points that are enlightening to what interests you when it comes to what we're working on here at CrowdStrike. And this episode is actually really exciting for me because, Adam, I've gotten a little bit of a glimpse into some of the things that your team is working on. I'm not going to steal your thunder. I'd love for you to spend some time talking about uh, some big announcements that I think are going to be very important to the way that our customers benefit from a lot of the services and programs that your team is responsible for. So as vague as that was, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hand it over to you. And then we're just going to talk about some of the changes that are upcoming here at CrowdStrike. Oh yeah, drum roll, <laughs> drum please. Roll, exactly. Yeah, so we are super excited to announce that we have taken our world-class intelligence, Falcon intelligence, and our threat hunting which saves our customers bacon every single day. And we have brought them together into a new organization that we are calling Counter Adversary Operations or CAO. And don't call it cow. Don't like it. Don't want to hear cow. But within CAO, really the thinking was that we would take, there's so much connectivity and connective tissue between intelligence and hunting. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at it and saying, why are these two things separate? We really want to be able to take the intelligence, get a tight loop where we're able to feed that intelligence into the hunting. The hunting team goes out and is able to interrogate the fleet, if you will, right? Look at all of the endpoints that we have under management. Look at all the cloud workloads we have under management. Take that intelligence, action it, and then feed that back to the intel team, creating this virtuous cycle of intelligence and hunting where we're just constantly pulling more information, more data, and really seeing, you know, how deep the rabbit hole goes mm. on some of these things that we look at. You might remember last year in the threat hunting report, there was, and we'll get to this later in, in the episode as we talk about the new threat hunting report, but last year there were 77,000 incidents that the Overwatch team stopped. Oh, well, that was uh, like one every seven. I think that their response time was like seven minutes from incident to notification. And we'll get into kind of the new stats here in a, in a minute. But it is, I think, really an incredible capability to pull these two things together. I don't know that anybody else is doing this out there where they really have kind of a world class threat hunting team, world class threat intelligence team working side by side every single day to make the most of the data that we have and really, like I said, just follow that thread, figure out what's going on. This, this is fascinating to me because first and foremost, for our listeners, if you're not familiar with the Overwatch team, basically it's our team of elite threat hunters that are looking at 
this massive amount of data, as Adam explained, across all of our customers' endpoints, right? So as you're streaming all this very high-fidelity telemetry into our cloud, our team is looking for things like outliers or behaviors that are tied to adversary tradecraft. And, and that the fact that this team is now working with the intelligence arm very closely in, in a much more efficient and cyclical fashion, their ability to identify these threats and, and do something about it is just even better than before. And so if last year we stopped 77,000 threats across our customer base, just imagine what this ultimately means in terms of the efficiency of this team's ability to understand what hands-on keyboard activity looks like in terms of adversary tradecraft. Again, very, very exciting. I, and I'll tell you, when I took over the CAO org and started learning more and more about threat hunting, you know, I always stood back and watched what they were doing with just admiration and just thinking about how cool their job was and what they were, what their mission was. And um, one of the first things that I did was I said, all right, now you have to train me to be a threat hunter. <laughs> and I want to go through and learn all the tools because I need to understand the intricacies of what you all deal with every single day. And they sat me down and gave me a hands-on training and got to go through and see the tooling and see the experience and kind of how they they think and how they operate. And that really just elevated my appreciation for how important their job is and all of the things that they're working on and the visibility that they have is incredibly powerful and uh, really humbling too to see like how much their like ability to operate and the speed at which they operate is like watching like a professional boxer or something. They're just so fast and so quick and so attentive. It's unbelievable. We've been talking about the impact of marrying intelligence and the Overwatch team, our threat hunting services group into what is now this counter adversary operations team. And now we have a really great report that for our listeners, if you haven't seen this report or read this report, it's our 2023 CrowdStrike Counter Adversary Operations uh, deep dive, which ultimately highlights a lot of the observations from our Overwatch team and our intelligence team uh, with respect to tradecraft that they've seen, some trends that they've seen. And so, Adam, I wanted to give you the floor for a bit to cover some some really great statistics that our, our listeners should absolutely be cognizant of. Even if you hadn't had a chance to to read the report, I, I, I think you should absolutely spend some time. But what are some things that really stand out for you that that you should pique the interest of our listeners and, and, you know, in this entire marriage, right, of, of intelligence and, and threat hunting operations. Sure. Yeah. So I, the you know first thing I think that a lot of people have come to associate with the threat hunting report has been breakout time. And in 2021, that breakout time was 92 minutes. In 2022, that time was 84 minutes. And what we've calculated the average breakout time to this, this go around was 79 minutes. Oh, wow. So it is five minutes faster. And one of the things I've been doing has been going around when I talk to boards and to executives and customers and, and everywhere. I always like to say, you know, look, the threat actor got 14 minutes faster last year. Did you? And so, you know, I guess now I'll have to modify that to now they got five minutes faster. But one of the things that we've talked about pretty heavily internally at CrowdStrike, a lot of people know that we've we've been very active with uh, CrowdStrike Racing and, and sponsoring F1 and things like that. It's always interesting to me, you know, George, our CEO, was, was telling me that in F1, they don't try to look at how many seconds they they shave off of each run or each lap. It's, you know tenths or even hundredths of a second 
is the 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 degree to which they're trying to get faster and it used to be that this was hours and then minutes but i think what we're seeing is that these adversaries the breakout time is is getting faster every year but the gap is getting smaller and so you know that's going to i think be important moving forward is that these threat actors are really just instrumenting it down now to to make it as quick as possible and just you know that's the average is 79 minutes but the fastest was 7 minutes and so you know that's that's not a lot of time to identify investigate and remediate an attack 7 and minutes for breakout time that's right the fastest oh, wow. breakout time was 7 minutes oh that's 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 scary terrifying. and incredible right yeah terrifying yeah i mean and and for those listeners that that are new to the to the podcast if you're not familiar with the concept of breakout time, it ultimately represents the amount of time it takes for an adversary from the point of, of compromising a system to move laterally or get access to another machine, right? And is that, is that a pretty good assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so seven minutes, think about that, right? You have your team, you're used to spending whatever amount of time it is that you spend today triaging events, looking at detections or incidents and understanding contextually, hopefully understanding contextually what the impact is to your organization Whatever that time frame is today, just think of an adversary getting onto a system and within seven minutes moving throughout your environment onto another machine, which naturally, you know, makes it very much harder to contain that threat if they've if they've become that quick and you know prolific throughout you know your your, your enterprise. And so that's that is a very terrifying number, and we're going to revisit that later when we start talking about some of the techniques that they're using. Speaking of seven minutes, oh oh, and I, this always <laughs> reminds. I'm just I'm thinking uh, something about Mary. Seven minute abs. Uh, every seven minutes, a potential intrusion was discovered by the Overwatch team. Oh well, again, these are really interesting numbers because I know this could also spin off to a whole different you know episode with respect to the tradecraft, and we'll cover some of that today and naturally point our listeners to this report. But how much of this do you think is also attributed to AI helping out in Mm, I don't think any of it. Any of it. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, we saw a 583% increase in Kerber roasting attacks. See, now there it is. So there's a problem. So it's not even an AI issue. It's an identity issue. It's an identity issue. 80% of the breaches that we identified back in the Global Threat Report, 80% of the breaches used compromised identities. And there was a 95% increase in cloud exploitation and three times increase in cloud conscious actors. The threat actors are getting faster. They're getting better. Some of the techniques that we're seeing in this report, 583% increase in Kerber roasting. A lot of people are going to say, what's Kerber roasting? Well, Kerberos is one of the ways that authentication occurs inside of particularly uh, Windows. It's, it's heavily uh, used. And yeah. yeah, so with yeah. Kerber roasting, what they're they're effectively doing is able to kind of bypass passwords or, or crack passwords by cracking the Kerberos cookie or ticket. The ticketing system, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's, you know, it's showing that they need those identities. And that increase demonstrates that Kerberos has been identified by threat actors to be extremely useful. In fact, 20% of those Kerberosting attacks are attributed to Vice Spider. In practice, Kerber roasting allows a threat actor to escalate privileges, enable lateral movement within the victim's environment. Windows devices tend to use a lot of Kerberos authentication protocols, and in that it effectively grants tickets to give users access to service principal names or SPNs. 
And so what happens is if you can conduct a Kerber roasting attack, it gives you that identity access that you're, you're going to need for the rest of your operation. You know, th- this is, a, I'm really happy you're clarifying this, by the way, because the first and foremost, the question on AI always comes up and everyone that I speak with is concerned on, hey, is, is AI really a driver behind accelerating the velocity of, you know, these attacks that we're observing? And the fact that the majority of these attacks are, or the success of these attacks is attributed to identities being compromised and things like Kerberos, which again is, is, a, is a protocol used for authentications, you know, that being exploited and leveraged as a mechanism to further the attack kind of under the radar, right? I think that's actually, that's, I don't want to say it's relieving because nothing about an attack is relieving, but it's insightful to know that while AI is something that we'll talk about later on, I think, you know, we should slow down on the concerns and focus on the fact that adversaries are just using legitimate credentials and these very specific curb roasting, you know, attacks to, 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 get access, stay persistent, and kind of get, you know, move throughout your environment un, unhindered, right? Yeah, I mean, if, if you could collect some of these Kerbero, Kerberos tickets, you could crack them offline, you can get back to the plain text credentials through those Kerberos tickets, and now you've got off, uh, legitimate credentials that you can use to authenticate. So, you know, it, it, it takes the Mimi cats and a lot of that stuff off the table. You don't need to do something that's necessarily quite as alerting. If you could just capture those Kerberos tickets, you're able to then use that to uh, do offline cracking. And that's, that's a huge concern, right? Absolutely. Or, or the fact that I read a stat in the report that actually piqued my interest is 30, 34% of those attacks involve the use of a domain account, right? Or default accounts. So to me, that sounds also like many enterprises are, dealing with the remnants of just kind of legacy active directory hygiene that has been untouched or you know, not reviewed. And, you know, adversaries are taking advantage of, of, you know, maybe configuration settings that were swept under the rug or that were uh, completely ignored that these adversaries are, are, are taking advantage of with, you know, very little opportunity for, for enterprises to, to revisit. I think once, they, once it's time to revisit, revisit, it's too late and these adversaries have gained access and they're, they're wreaking havoc accordingly. 80 makes me real nervous. It's somebody once told me that with like the long distance telephone system, they had this, this policy where you could add code to it, but you could never take code away because nobody knew what would happen if you took some of the code out of it. Mm -hmm. And and to a certain extent, I feel like that happens inside of the 80 world where it's just, you know, just slap something on top of it and don't take the other thing out because people might still be using it. I mean, think about some of the things we've seen with groups like Lapsus, which we call Slippy Spider last summer where they were able to go after pretty large organizations with just credentials or scattered spider who has been wreaking havoc across so many different industries and verticals. And, you know, they're, they're coming with phishing attacks where they create like a typo squatted domain with dash corp or dash SSO or, or something like that in a domain, they, they, they text somebody or convince them uh, that they are part of the IT support team and they get them to provide credentials. And once they, they provide the cr- credentials because they've clicked on a link and it looks like a legitimate login for you know an IDP or something like that, then they're off to the races. And, and that gets to the next stat I want to highlight, which is we saw a 312% increase in the use of what we call remote monitoring and management tools. Things like AnyDesk or Fleet Deck 
or domats or any number of, of, of tools that are out there. And so threat actors have figured out that bringing malware to the party, bringing custom malware to the party can be problematic. So if you bring some legitimate looking tools to the party, then nobody's going to necessarily notice. It's kind of hiding in plain sight, right? Yep. You know, these are very scary stats, naturally. I know we we have some really great content that we're producing that highlights techniques to mitigate against these threats. But I think the purpose of the report, if we were to to summarize the purpose of an objective of the the report, right, I would assume that it's the purpose is to shine a spotlight on not only these increasing trends and attack techniques, but we were also publishing some really uh, technical analysis of what these attacks look like from start to finish, right? In terms of how the adversaries are gaining access to the point of, you know, them executing on their final objectives, right? In the last stage of the attack. What, what, would, what would you say? Yeah, you know, I think the, the purpose is to really help kind of highlight the things that we're seeing threat hunting across all of our customers and, you know, all of our endpoints and in all of the geographic locations. We have a pretty unique view into that. And when we take a step back every year, this report typically comes out in the summer of every year, we take a step back and we look and we say, look, over the, the last year, what's what's changed? What what types of things do we need to know about? Kerber roasting is a huge issue. We've seen opportunistic threat actors, criminals that had previously really been operating opportunistically, having more tailored operations to go after their their targets. And so that's developing that capability. Calling out the 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 changes by threat actors in identity and how they're using Kerber roasting, taking a look at some of the MITRE attack stuff that we've actually brought up. Overwatch identified some missing uh, MITRE identity technique, for example, and and then other things like what what happens in the early stages of e-crime? How does Indrik Spider, as an example that we use in the report, have a more tailored approach or, or make it a more customized experience for the opportunistic victim. We look at how they abuse different vulnerabilities for initial access and the use of those remote monitoring and management tools that I mentioned earlier. And then the other thing that we haven't talked about is the the adversary's understanding of the cloud, which I think is really important. In the Global Threat Report, we called out that there was a 95% increase in cloud exploitation in 2022 and a 3x increase, uh, 288%, in the number of what we call cloud-conscious threat actors. Yeah. And a cloud-conscious threat actor, it means that they, one, are aware of the cloud, that it exists, and and two, they understand when they're in the cloud how to operate, how to change their behavior. And, you know, that that was something that we've been tracking for, for a minute now. But if you go back to what some of the new things that we've identified are, uh, we saw, for example, that there's a 3x increase in Linux privilege escalation tool uh, called Limpies, which is really helpful for cloud discovery. So more and more threat actors are bringing different tools into that cloud environment and understanding how to operate in that cloud. So, you know, if you take a giant step back, we're seeing identity is a huge issue. It's, you know, there, there's there's a component of that tied to the Kerber roasting that that manifests itself in more access broker advertisements in the deep dark web, et cetera. And then, you know, we also are seeing an increase in the 
number of, you know, the, the use of remote management tools to avoid detection. Now, the stats on cloud conscious adversaries is is also an interesting perspective into evolving tradecraft. So I know we're seeing a lot more adversaries get a hold of, of, of a system within the likes of, you know, you named a cloud provider, right? You know, Azure, AWS. And once they've harvested those credentials successfully, they use local resource management tools to then further compromise additional resources or services. And that ultimately furthers their persistence or it ultimately allows them to spin up resources to further their attack or maybe even use those resources to attack other organizations. And so to your point, they are absolutely getting very creative and they are understanding how to use these resources in these cloud service providers quite frankly, a a lot more efficiently than uh, some of the enterprises that have invested in them, which also is a bit scary to know that an adversary probably understands your cloud environment better than you do. And they're spending the time to understand it and, and, and compromise it using, again, legitimate credentials, knowing that there's ways for them to come back with access to a multitude of services within these CSPs. And so I think we're going to probably spend a lot more time as these campaigns increase and we're seeing a lot more movement into the cloud for the sake of lateral movement. And as organizations start putting more data into the cloud, just know that the more data that's being put into these services, naturally, you know, the these actors are going to kind of follow that, those breadcrumbs and and, and they're going to understand those environments really effectively. And, and that's something that we're keeping an eye on. And that's something that we're also publishing some really great intelligence on and naturally building some really great technology around in an effort to protect enterprises across the three major CSPs. So with that said, Adam, I think I'm really excited about this report being published. I want to congratulate you, by the way, also on the convergence of both our threat hunting and our threat intelligence arm. This is now, we're not calling it the cow. I just want to put that out there. (laughs) Yeah, it's CAO. (laughs) It's CAO. And basically, this is fantastic, right? We know that this counter adversary operations team is going to make such a big impact across the entire organization for our customers For our listeners, again, this will also foster some really great content. Adam, thank you so much. I think this was a really great conversation. Really excited again for the 2023 threat hunting report, Adam. A fantastic convergence of data from our Overwatch threat hunting team and our intelligence team. Any last words you want to leave for our listeners before we wrap up this episode? No, I think this is fun. We're excited. We're ready to get some interesting research pulled together and really kind of hit the gas with CAO and trying to disrupt adversaries and and make it more difficult for them to operate against our customers and give our our customers a little extra breathing room so that they know that they they can keep going while we stop these breaches for them. That's fantastic. So again, check out our website, CrowdStrike.com and look for the 2023 Threat Hunting Report. This is the Adversary Universe podcast. Christian Rodriguez, Adam Myers. Thank you so much. We're going to catch you in the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to our podcast and head over to CrowdStrike.com forward slash adversaries to learn more about the many bad guys we track. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Adversary Universe podcast. This is the Adversary Universe podcast.